0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctable.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. If you in the audience, turn around and say hi to somebody. Just wave at them, you know, give them an air high five, something like that. And for those joining us online, it's great to have you with us. And we are looking forward to what God's going to say to us today in this service. Um... I did want to let you know if you're here on, uh, in person, uh, we have some cards in the back. I just have our, uh, my wife and I, our new contact information for us. We'd love you to stay in touch with us as we continue this next journey of our, uh, of our life together. Um, and also there's a sign-up sheet back there if you'd like to be a part of our, our email list. We consider to be partners in our ministry. Uh, we'd love to keep you updated. So just give us your email. But please write clearly. So that we can identify that. And if you're watching online you'd like to stay con- connected, please let us know that as well and we'll, we'll do so. The, this morning what we want to uh, continue to do is we're wrapping up a series. We started a few weeks ago. It's about one simple word. The word is transformed. And we're learning from that passage uh, what God has in mind for those of us followers of Christ. And to do so, we've been looking at the last five chapters of the book of Romans and what God had said in those closing words of this famous letter to the church at Rome. So today we're going to actually be in the last chapter, chapter 16 of the the book of Romans. You have your Bibles, your electronics devices. Hope you'll join us there as we we continue this journey. But before we do, let's go back to where this journey started for this last section. We go back to chapter 12. That's where this this last part began. Chapter 12 and verse number 1. And this is a famous verse for many where Paul writes this, therefore... He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He's telling us that those of the first 11 chapters, those of you who have received that grace of God, now here's the way that the life is meant to be, that you're to to offer that as a sacrifice. This is what you were meant to be. This is is how you were meant to to operate now as God's people. And then he tells us how that works in verse number 2 when he says, And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, say it with me, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It all comes down to this is how God has designed you. This is what God's plan for you is. Present yourself to him. It's all about God. It's all about what he has in mind for your life, which then is very appropriate when he takes what we're going to look at today, the, the last part. In fact, actually the last section of this passage, the last section of the book of Romans, chapter number 16 Look how he ends this very famous letter. Verse 25, Paul says, now to him who is able, and then he goes on in verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. And that's how this famous letter comes to a close. With this idea of everything has been leading up to this point, of that is it's, it's here, transformed. your life being different, but for a specific reason, for the glory of God. Which brings us to our theme today: the idea is transformed to God be the glory. Here's what we gotta remember: this transformed is what God wants our lives to be. This is how we should be operating as God's people. But we ultimately remember, it's not even about us. It's not so that we enjoy a, a bigger, better life. Some of that comes with results. It's not, that's not the point. The ultimate goal is for God to receive the glory for him to be glorified through your life, through the fact that he saved you, he's transforming you, and now that brings glory to God. And ultimately, that's how this—that what this book was all about, is bringing glory to God. God is transforming you if you're his child. He, he saved you by his grace. You're being transformed. You're being changed from the moment that you received Christ and throughout the rest of your life. In fact, one of my favorite quotes, and I've used it many times, so if you've been here, I'm sure you've heard it, but one of my favorite quotes is simply this, that God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He loves you, he accepts you as you are, but as you receive him, he begins to change you from the inside out, Is what we all need, and he begins this process in our life, all, ultimately, all for his glory. Now, that's That's what we're going to talk about in this passage, but I have to be honest, personally, this is a very fitting passage as God has led us there, and and I truly believe it wasn't by accident we came to this passage on this day. If, If you've been with us, we've been in the book of Romans for a couple of years, taking it in section by section, and we actually were going to finish it last year. But there was 2020 happened. You remember that? And so some things changed. Plans seemed to kind of change. So this year, our goal was to end, 20, uh, end Romans in this year, 2021. And it just, the, the impeccable timing of God takes us, I believe, to this very appropriate section of Scripture. As we, as we end our tenure here as pastor at Calvary and we see what God's going to do in, in the time ahead. So as I read through this book, this may be a little different sermon than I've preached before, but I hope you see what I think God has shown me as we look through these last, these last passages. So we're just going to kind of unpack this chapter. And the first thing I want you to get is as I read through what Paul says, he begins with this. I want to, and this was what Paul's goal is, just to say hello to some very good friends. So there's some dear friends that Paul's going to mention in this passage. So if you've never read Romans 16 before, I remind you of that. And and as you read through it, it's probably one of those. How many of you ever get to the list of names in the Bible and you just kind of skip down so the names are over? Come on, be honest. All right, we all do that, okay? Uh, be partly because you can't you can't read them. It's like I don't I can't pronounce them, right? So you just kind of. Well, I, I hope you won't do that this morning because there's some very very powerful truths that we learn just in this list of names. It, Paul does this. He spends a considerable amount of time at the end of this letter mentioning specific names, specific people. That's not unusual. Paul has done that in a lot of his letters. He kind of ends that way. That was kind of a common way to bring it to a conclusion. But what we're going to find here is it's not only the the sending of the the greetings, which he does, it's from he, the the writer, and usually from the people that were with him, some others who may be in the same room as he's writing this, he's sending greetings to them. And so that's kind of how he wraps it up. But starting in chapter 16 and verse 1, he commends a particular lady to this church of Rome. He actually is giving them, giving them a, a way to, to respect her. And so best we can understand, this was probably the person who delivered the letter to the church of Rome. It, this was, Remember, they didn't have the postal service back then and didn't have email, so there had to be a hand delivery. And, and this lady, and here's who will we'll find her name, this seems to be the one who was carrying the letter. Here's how the Bible tells us. It says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Synchrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So, very simply, we have Apostle Seal of Approval right here, right? Here's Phoebe, and she needs some credibility because she's obviously bringing a very important letter to these people. And so there has to be a reason why we should listen to her or why we should accept this from her. So Paul is giving this this recommendation. As far as we know, the Bible, Phoebe is only mentioned in this verse. But in just a few words, Paul gives her this glowing recommendation. Look at some of the ways he describes her. My my sister wasn't a family thing, like blood relation. It was the family of God. She's my sister in the faith we're in this we're in this thing together we're all, we're in the she and i are we're on the same team then he refers to as as the servant phoebe servant's a, a common term in in the, in the scriptures it refers to those who serve the lord minister together but this particular word for servant also in several places carries kind of a an official title that within the, it seems like in the church of Sancreia, she had some kind of a, a title. This is the same word that's used for the men, for the deacons. So there was some kind of official capacity that she had in the church in Sincrea, But then it refers to as the helper. Here is a servant whose goal is just simply to help people to do what, what needs to be done. And, and so he also says, now, give her all the assistance she needs and, and give her the credit that she is, that is worthy of, that she has, she has earned. And so he gives this glowing recommendation to this lady. But then from there, he begins a list of people. In fact, this is the longest list that Paul gives in all of his letters. We, we know of at least 26 individuals are mentioned in the next few verses. Two different family groups are mentioned. And there's at least three house churches that are referred to that are a part of this this church in in Rome. And and so as we get into this this idea of uh, what we got to remember is Paul had never been to Rome yet. It's kind of interesting. He's mentioning all these people, and he's not even stepped foot there yet. That's his goal. That's where he wants to be. He wants to get to Rome, but he's not been to the church yet. So these are people that are somehow from Rome or they are there now who he has met along his journeys and who have crossed his path, and somehow they've either ministered together, they've worked together in some fashion, and now they find themselves in Rome, they're part of this church. So he's just saying, hey, say hello to a few friends for me that I've met along along the journey. And he he begins with, with two names that scripturally are kind of familiar. Verse number three, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. These two, Priscilla and Aquila, they were strong friends of Paul's that we've know in Acts chapter 18 is where they met. And they had originally been they'd been a part of Rome. They had a home in Rome. But there was an edict for the, empire, the emperor that kicked all the Jews out of Rome at some point. And so chapter 18 of Acts, of Acts, we find that as they left Rome, somehow they came across the path of Paul. And, and they shared kind of a, the same side hustle. They were both tent makers. That's what they did uh, besides ministering to people. And they worked together. They, they served together. But they had such a, a great influence. Paul calls them my fellow workers. We just, we just do this thing together and talk in ministry. But then he gives this special thing, and they risk their necks for me. They put their necks on the line for me. Now, you don't just say that about just all your friends. Now, you have some good friends. But then there are those friends who would risk their lives for you. There are those friends that always have your back, even when it's risky or even when it's hard for them. That's what these, these were the friends that would, they would be out there on the limb with you when everybody else is cutting it off, right? They are there with you in the middle of this thing, and he call, he refers to them as, as that, and he says, and I thank God for them, and so do all the other people. Everyone they came in contact with was impacted by this couple. What an amazing couple of people that he, he refers to, and then he just starts this list. Say hello to me for and all these people, and you might find the list a little boring, a little hard to pronounce, but think about it. Everyone who's reading this letter recognizes the names he's mentioning. Can you think as they're sending the names, and he gives a special trait of some sort to almost every one of them. Think about it as you're listing this letter. Paul says hi to you, my friend who did. There's several things that are mentioned. One, there's several women he refers to as very hardworking there are some he calls co-workers, some he calls co-prisoners. There's at least three they he refers to as my dear friend. These are all parts that just you can feel the, the love that Paul had for them. But there's a couple that I want to pull out. Verse number five, look at this one. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. That's a significant person in Paul's life. Paul started his journeys... And when he stepped into that foreign country of Asia and he's telling others about Christ, he remembers the first guy he saw bend his knee and receive Christ. He's the first convert. That's a special moment. The thinking about, I remember that's how it all started with Eponidas. And now he's in Rome, so say hi to him for me. He talks about a guy in verse 10 named Apollos He said, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. And he is, essentially he's approved in Christ. We, we know that in this list are several slaves, and this seems to be one of the slaves mentioned as part of a household. But in whatever his position, he has stood firm. He stood loyal. He is one that you could know of as Christ from what he stands. And then there's one that I find very interesting. Verse 13, he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. I partly just like to say the name Rufus. I think that's a great name, okay? But besides just the, the way it, it sounds, There's an interesting possible history to this Rufus. Not everybody agrees, but many historians think that this may have been the same Rufus who's mentioned in Mark chapter 14 when his father, named Simon from Cyrene, was the man they called to carry the cross of Jesus when he stumbled on his way to Calvary. And the Bible says that his two sons, one of whose name was Rufus, were there when all that was happening. So if that's true, this Rufus saw the crucifixion, from a front row seat as his father carried the cross. Interesting man, and now he's a, he is one of the followers of Jesus Christ, if that history is true. But then I also like the last part, when he says, and his mother, Rufus' mom, which would have been Simon's wife, if that history is true, who has been a mother to me too. Do you know any, any ladies like that? Who It's not your mom, but you might as well be. They just have loved you, and they've taken you in, and they just love you. And that, That's what he said. Rufus' mom has just been a mom to me as, as well. You see, folks, in ministry, that's that's one of the great things, is you come across people like that who have impacted your life and hopefully you've had an impact on theirs as well. And i I, 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 I got to get through this paragraph because in 11 years, that's been a lot of what's happened here at Calvary with us. We've met some wonderful people. We've ministered beside many of you. I would call you my coworkers. I would call you my... Well, none of us are co-prisoners yet. So I hope that doesn't happen. But you know what, you know what I'm saying? We've worked together. We've loved the Lord together. I I there are some of you I as I look across the audience, then I've seen that that I was nearby at least, if not in the same room when you prayed to receive Christ as your savior. Several of you I got to the dunk in the tank, the baptistry, and I didn't even hold you under. Isn't that great? I mean, I I let you back up. I mean, it's it, there's just things. There's some of you that I've I stood at the altar when you married your spouse and I was a part of that ceremony and, and you still love me, <laughs> all, all that. I, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to do ministry together. And sometimes in days like today, there's sadness and, and, um, and there will be tears, but there's also this blessing of knowing we've done life together and we're gonna continue to be in this family together. And we're still... Brothers and sisters, you're my sisters, you're my brothers, and we're working together. And, and so like Paul would say, I want to just say hi to some dear friends. And that's what I think of when I think of you at Calvary. And then he he sums it up, verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And that sounds pretty good. It's not quite maybe what we think, right? Uh, Greet one another with a holy kiss was really, um, it was a custom. In fact, it, for many centuries, it was more than a custom. It was something that churches did as a part of their worship services. They would stop and have a moment of greeting one another with a holy kiss. Equivalent, sort of, to us would be a handshake. When you, you shake, you give someone the right hand of fellowship, we call it in, in modern times. But it was bigger than just shaking somebody's hand. Think about the intimacy it is something to shake hands, but the intimacy of reaching up and, and pecking someone's cheek with a kiss, that closeness. But it's even more than just that act. It's, think about what it says. He's saying to the church here, listen, all of you, and he's mentioned names of people that he knows, and there's so many others in the church. He's saying, make sure that you don't forget to greet one another with a kiss, that you don't forget to, to love on one another. And that means that I'm going to give you a kiss, even if maybe I don't agree with you on everything. We have different political stands. We have different methodology ideas. But we're still brothers and sisters, and I'm going to give you a kiss because I love you, and we're in this thing together. Do you see the picture that he's painting? All of these people he has a great relationship with, but make sure that you never forget that we are the church that God has put together, and it's, it's our goal, it's his desire that we maintain the unity of the church that God is. That's what that verse is saying. Make sure you remember that you're all part of this, this thing Together, as we've talked about this last few weeks and how critical and important this is, remind you of Romans chapter 15, verse 5, Paul said, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the spirit of unity. Or maybe your version says that same attitude toward one another that Jesus had. Yet spirit of unity, why? So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that whole point of what today is? We're here to be transformed to give the glory to God. You are to do that individually if you're a follower of Christ. Your life should be giving glory. But do you see what God is saying? It's bigger than that. God designed for his people to give glory in unison, in unity, in harmony. That together, in spite of our diversity and differences, that we love each other. And together, we, as we talked about with many people speaking in one voice, saying God is God. Giving glory to God together, that's how important this idea of unity is. We've talked about several pictures over the last few weeks. I'll remind you in case you haven't been here. We talked about the, the Lego picture, and each of us being a, a separate piece of something bigger, that God is building a temple, and, and he has a place for us, and it's something that he has designed for us. And then we talked about coffee, right? And whether you're the beans or the milk, or the the idea is a grand creator takes this cup of unity. He mixes us together to do something bigger than ourselves when we come together to be used of him. Last Sunday, we talked about the the rowing figure, the, the Olympic rowing team, and this symbol of having your, your oars in the water at the same time and going the same direction in the same synchronicity, all of those things, and how important the unity of the church is and how God is designed, and that's some of Paul's greatest things of these last few chapters. But today I want to add one final picture, and that's the picture of a puzzle. And actually, this puzzle that you see is a picture there was a picture that a man in, uh, in Taylorville, his name was uh, Robert Johnson back in 1996, he, he painted a portrait of the buildings of, of Calvary. And so, several of you have autographed copies, it's a beautiful picture. Well, we took that picture and we made it into a puzzle. Because the idea of a puzzle is very, very important. Very, when you think about unity, you think about the idea that, that this, the, the, the church is not a building. The church is the people that, that make up the building. We all get that, right? So what we have is this church is made up of individual pieces to this puzzle. And you're a part of this church. You're an individual piece of this puzzle. And every piece is unique. We're, we're all different. But we're all important, Because when you take a piece out, it leaves a a hole in the middle, right? And if you do puzzles and that one piece is gone, it drives you, right? Because you're missing a piece. Every piece is important. Every piece has a job to do. Every piece is a part of of this puzzle that God has designed. And this is the picture of unity that I want us to see. Because as you read through this, and remember, thinking about all those names that Paul mentioned, all those pieces of the puzzle of the Church of Rome, and all those pieces together, each having their own impact, Each some of them workers, some of them slaves, some of them aristocrats, but it doesn't matter. They're all part of the same puzzle, each one being a piece that God wants to use. And now the the whole idea is we stay together, we stay, we stay in unity. And going forward, church, you stay in this unity, you keep doing what God has called you to do together, which makes this next verse very important. Look at verse 17. His next thought, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in the way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Paul's saying a couple things here, church. One of them is that there is a, the, the importance of unity is real, but there's something we have to remember, and that is that the enemy is real as well. Remember that there is an enemy who is out to destroy you personally. If he, if he can't have your soul, he wants to take away your effectiveness. And his greatest thing to do in a church is to take away its unity, to get a church that has all the potential with many people to speak in one voice and to do something to dilute that unity. I, I heard a quote this week that the devil is not afraid of a big church, but he is afraid of a unified church doesn't matter how many people there, but if they're in unity, they, they've got one voice that can speak loudly and can speak with this authority, and he wants to, he wants to dilute that in the community of Taylorville and the world to somehow to take it where it doesn't have the power. Yes, there'll be voices speaking. God will still work, but it won't have the same impact, won't have the same drive that God has intentioned. Now, here what we know is the, the division was caused by those who were false teachers, they were actually coming in, teaching something contrary to the to the truth of the scriptures, and that still happens. It's it's hap- it's been happening since this was written, almost two thousand years ago. In fact, just a few. Days later, Paul would leave the church of Ephesus, and he writes this to them. I know that after I leave, in Acts chapter 20, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Here's the thing he's he's wanting us to remember, is that has happened and. And, and I hear the shepherd's heart as he's talking. There have been, there have been with those within the church who have tried to divide by doctrine since I've been here. And now as I leave, as a shepherd is saying, oh, please beware. There are those that, that the enemy wants to divide. The enemy wants to dilute this, the, the opportunity. Because his favorite t- tactic, the devil's favorite tactic is simply to divide and Conquer. To, to get us separated, to get us off the same page, to get us out of sync in, in our unity, to take pieces away that they're not being used. And Paul is saying, listen, be on guard for those things. Be aware that that's going to happen, and don't let the devil take away what God wants to do. Don't let him divide you. Verse 19, he says, Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. You've been doing well. Things are going good, but... But make sure you understand that there is an enemy who wants, and make sure you're doing that which is right, that which God has called you. couple things to remember here, though. Remember that the real enemy is not those other people. You have to be careful of them, but they're not the true enemy. Now, they're being used by the enemy, and they need to be corrected or avoided, perhaps. But they're not. The, there's an enemy that's, that's pushing their buttons, that's moving them forward. They themselves, the real enemy is a referred to as a roaring lion. He's a liar who wants to destroy and take you out. Satan himself is against you. But remember, he's the true enemy. But there's something else also to remember, and that is he is real. He does want your worst interests. He's against you, and he's someone you need to be aware of, someone you need to be be looking out for, be, be conscious of, but not to be afraid of. Sometimes we we give the devil too much credit in in our working because the devil is real, but he's living on borrowed time. Here's the thing I want to finish out with that sentence. Remember, the enemy is real, but he is defeated. I want you to see verse number 20. Look what he says. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Circle that. God said he will crush Satan. I love that phrase. That God is going to crush Satan. The truth is, Satan knows he's already defeated. I promise you, Satan's read the back of the book and he knows I lose, right? He knows where his future is and he's doing everything he can to destroy in the meantime. But God says, I will crush Satan. We are, we are in danger of, of being uh, manipulated and tricked. But he's an enemy that cannot defeat us with the power of God within us. Here's how First John put it. Greater is he that is in you. The Holy Spirit, child of God, if you're one of his, he lives in you. And that Holy Spirit, his presence is with you constantly. Greater is he that is in you than he, the devil, the enemy that is in the world. We, we have something to be aware of but not afraid of because ultimately our enemy is defeated. And there's one last thing that I wanted to share about Paul says to this church. And I say it to you, Calvary, as well. I know that the Lord will continue to to use you. There's still a great future in mind for you. Jump down to verse 25 with me. The notes in my Bible give this last section a, a title. It calls it the doxology. I don't know if yours says that or not. You've heard that word, some of you, doxology. It's, it's a, Sometimes it's a hymn that, that churches use at the end of their service. It's a very fitting way to end this book. Uh, but th- by definition, doxology simply means give God praise. That's simply what he's, what he's saying, and that's what he does in this, this last part of his letter. It's just a, simply an expression of giving glory to God. Let me read it for you, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, that gospel is the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known to the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Now, obviously, the point is to give praise to God in these verses, but I want you to notice something that jumped out to me in this idea of praising God, and that was the the message that God has given and the the mission to do something with that message. Notice what he talks about in those verses is the gospel. The gospel is basically the theme of the book of Romans. He says it from the very beginning. In fact, chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to anyone who believes. The gospel that he talks about, and that's what he spends the majority of Romans talking about, is how he explains the gospel. And here's in simple terms what the gospel is. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us start on equal footing. We're sinners before a holy God. When we talk about bringing glory to God, do you realize that before Christ, you don't even have the ability to bring glory to God? It's not within you to bring glory to God because you're a sinner before a holy God being a creator so he says we're all sinners we all fall short there's nothing we're going to do to earn that and that's what we stand before him and that's bad news until you read the next verse verse 24 he goes on to say all have sinned but all can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus the death the burial and the resurrection that is the gospel And that gospel is what takes us from our sin and allows us to have a relationship with God because his His blood cleanses us from our sin. He paid it all, as we sang earlier, and it gives us the opportunity to have eternal life and our sins forgiven. Here's a question I believe I've asked at least in some form every Sunday I've been here. Have you received that gift? Has there been a point in your life when you recognized that you were a sinner and you came to know that Jesus died and rose again for you and you received his gift, you received his forgiveness, you became one of his kids. Has there been that moment in your life? If not, why not today? Why not today? Receive the gift that that's the gospel. That's the message he talks about. But did you notice in those verses? He also then talks about a mission. And that mission is that this gospel was not just meant for you to hear. It was meant for you to receive and then to take it to somebody else. His point was all the Gentiles need to hear this. The whole world needs to hear this gospel. And so if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus saved you by the gospel so that you could then receive that and then take and share that gospel with somebody else so they too could know Jesus Christ. It's the message and the mission that never changes. And he knew that this church was going to continue to go forward and do that in Calvary. I know that's what you're going to do. God has been doing a work in your life for all of these years, and he's going to continue to lead you and bless you. Since 1946, there's been a a church in this this city that has been sharing the gospel and has been receiving the gospel and been taking it to people. And that mission has never changed, and it will not change. It's still what God has for you. You have this incredible history, but you have an exceptional future in front of you that the same God who called you and has been using you is still got a plan for you. He's got a plan for each of our lives individually and for you as a church, and I believe with everything within me that God is going to continue to use you. But you may say, well, how, how do I know that's possible? Let me go back and read this verse again. If we go back, he says, to him, God, who is able. And, and I want to just stop there when he says that to whom to, to him, that's God who is Able. and what he's saying uh, you'll see that verse in a minute but when we get to that, that that God who is able and if you stop right there that says so much about God. He is able he is he is able to do anything there is nothing too hard for God there is he is able to do whatever he needs to do in your life in this church. God is able never forget that just very simply if we did if we just stop that verse there God is able to do whatever he needs. To do. And then in the last part of the verse, the only wise God, he says, To him be the glory. So here's what I'd like us to do today let's write our own personal doxology, our own expression of praise to God. And let's take that expression that we just talked about, to God be the glory. But in that middle part, I want you to fill in the blanks with whatever. You know about God today to offer him praise. I mean, we could give you the example that Paul did. To God, who is able and who is all wise, be the glory. You get the gist? Now, let me give you some examples, but you fill in your own blanks. Let me give you a few examples of maybe we could say, to God, who knows everything about me and loves me anyway, be the glory. To God, who sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for my sin, be the glory. To God who placed his spirit inside of me to comfort me and teach me and lead me, be the glory. To God who allows us to know each other as family and will always be in the family, be the glory. To God who works in us and allows us to work together, be the glory. To the God who has already defeated and will ultimately crush Satan, to him be the glory. Amen? To God be the glory. To God who has made us more than conquerors through Christ in us. Be the glory. To God who will never leave us or forsake us, be the glory. To God who will finish the work that he started in your life, be the glory. To God who is able to strengthen and establish you to do his work, to him be the glory. You get the idea? Let me give you a chance this week to just take that phrase and fill it in. Start your day to God who, and you fill in the blank, be the glory. Spend some time just honoring God for who he is and what he's designed to do in your life. I want to read one last verse. I've made it kind of a pastoral prayer in leaving you as a congregation. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more Than all we ask or imagine. He's able, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in his church, in this church, in Calvary Baptist Church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. With that, as we bring this part of our service to a close, I want to end in a very similar way, first of all, that we do often, and that is I want to encourage you to respond to what God has said to you today. I'm going to pray for you in a minute, kind of my last prayer on a Sunday as your pastor, but I want you to think, what has God said to you, and how can I, what do I need to respond to? For some of you, maybe it is to receive that gift. You've heard this over and over again, but you need to receive that gift that, that brings salvation and know Jesus Christ as Savior. Is that your response? Or maybe as a follower of Christ, you need to think about how am I doing with the brothers and sisters? How is my, my part in the unity of the church? And what do I need to do to continue on? Or what is my part in the puzzle? And am I, am I fulfilling that? And, and God, just help me to do what you've called me to do. What is it that, how has God spoken to you? What are you going to do in response? But there's one other thing I want to do today that is a little bit different. After I pray in just a moment, I want to encourage you to take a moment and just come here to the front and take a piece out of this puzzle that represents Calvary Baptist Church. Take a piece and understand that that represents me. I'm a, I'm a piece of this. And this church, this church is, uh, God has called me here, so that means... They need me to be here and they need me to be faithful to attend, be faithful to serve, be faithful to give, be faithful to invite others, be faithful to, to pray for one another, be faithful to, to do what needs to be done to, to love and to be in unity. But this is my peace. And, I, God, I want to remember. And I encourage you to take this peace and keep it with you. And every time you see it, remember, I, I'm a piece of something bigger than myself. I'm a piece of God's church that he's able to do something amazing in. Maybe after you take your piece, as you slip off the side, maybe you want to take a time and pray and pray for the church, pray for one another, but I encourage you to to do just that. I'm going to take a piece because you may not see my face all the time, but I'm still a part of this. We're still together in this work. So let me pray for you, and then let's take a time and reflect on what God has said to us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being with us this morning. thank you for the past 11 years that you've allowed us as a church family to work closely together. But I'm thankful for my friends and loved ones here. Lord, I pray for their protection. I pray that they are aware and they will beware of the enemy's attacks, but Lord, that they will march forward with confidence, nothing to be afraid of. But Lord, I also just pray you'll continue to use them, guide them Give their leaders wisdom. Give them specific guidance to do what you've called them to do. Thank you, God. I encourage you to come and join us and take a piece of the puzzle today.